Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests, like David Pollock, in just a few minutes on the college football news of the day yesterday. Adam Schefter will jump in in this hour as well. Lewis Riddick will come this morning as we continue, and all the guests on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, a day filled with a lot of news. Most of it not especially good. This is Football 2020. And by that, of course, I don't mean hindsight. We're looking forward at just trying to get to the finish line. That's what this season is about in pro football and in college football. They have a lot of things going against them when it comes to trying to play through a pandemic. They're not basketball. They're not hockey. They're not uh, Major League Soccer. They didn't have their seasons mostly complete when all of this came down upon us. They didn't have to just finish it up, and they don't have the ability to put everyone into a bubble. You can stop asking that question with the news that Adam Schefter broke live on Get Up this morning during our 8 o'clock hour, first hour of our show on ESPN today. Adam Schefter breaking the news that the Falcons have closed their practice facility, their, their training facility today, putting their game with Minnesota this weekend in some degree of jeopardy. And again, Schefter will jump in in about a half hour with the latest This is just the way it's going to be. And every single time this happens, I get all of these tweets, and I appreciate it, but it is all greeny. Aren't they going to go to a bubble? Greeny, don't they need to go to a bubble? And of course, the answer is, if that were feasible, hell yes. A bubble would obviously be the best scenario. The NBA got all the way to their finish line without a single positive test. But again, they had so many things going for them that the NFL has going against it. The NBA only brought back a limited number of teams. The NFL has 32 teams playing its season. An NBA roster, <clears throat> excuse me, is made up of 15 people. The National Football League, you're talking about over 60 people per team, plus all of the support people. You're talking about, I don't even know what multiple it would be. Five times the number of people, probably more than five times the number of people required to put the NBA in a bubble is what you would need to do to put the NFL in one bubble. It's not going to happen. What is likely to happen, I think, is that the season gets extended. If you are already cordoning off, actually, it's an interesting thought. If you have already cordoned off Super Bowl Sunday, no plans, not that we can really make any other plans right now anyway, but anything you otherwise were planning to do, you just cordon off that day. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is just out of the question. No one gets married on Super Bowl Sunday. I, I wrote that in a book once. Does anyone get married on Super Bowl Sunday? Do they even in, do they allow weddings on that day? Does the, the, do you want everyone at your wedding find, desperately finding a television to watch Tom Brady going up against Patrick Mahomes or whatever it winds up being? Well, the point I'm taking a very long time getting to here is there will be no bubble, but I would not be the least bit surprised if everything winds up getting pushed back. You have heard about this nebulous idea of a week 18, sort of a catch-all week for all games that didn't wind up getting played. You put them all on that week 18, you could do that. You could then take out the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, and everything would be on time. That would be if everything that gets lost between now and then can be made up in one weekend. If you were asking me, I would bet the likeliest scenario is that it requires more than that. And again, you are not going to hear criticism here. I I can't even imagine where they would have to go or what they would have to do for me to be critical of the decisions they're making. 
I am fully, fully understanding of the idea that they are dealing in unprecedented territory, that this is uncharted, that no one has had to deal with this before, or any number of other ways you might say the same thing. That the goal here is to get all of the games played. And there is no reason to pretend it's not about money. There are billions of dollars hanging in the balance. You're allowed to be worried about that. It's important to the owners. It's important to the players. It's important to the league. It's important to the sponsors. It's important to the network. It's important to everybody. So I have no issue with them figuring out what they can do to try and get there. Anyway, the Atlanta Falcons are the latest to go through this. I mean, we've seen games moved, and now they're supposed to play Minnesota this weekend, and let's see what winds up happening. Here was Shefty with the news this morning, Bubba, on Get Up. The Falcons are scheduled to play Sunday in Minnesota against the Vikings, and it's fair to say at this particular point in time that that game would be in jeopardy. The league has postponed or pushed back games with teams involving positive tests in recent weeks. The league will have to make a determination about what the best thing to do in this particular case is. But before the league can get to that point, it will want to see where those individuals who tested positive were, who they were exposed to, who they were in vicinity with. And so there's a lot of examinations going on right now to figure out exactly what is transpiring in Atlanta. But make no mistake, the Falcons are shutting down their facility in light of recent positive tests. So that was Shefty this morning. Again, he'll join us with the very latest in about 25 minutes. And I will repeat again that fairness is not the first priority. In fact, it's not even on the first page. If you were to make a list of priorities, you would have to get to the second page before you would get to make sure it's fair to everyone involved. Some teams are going to wind up getting the short end of the stick when it comes to scheduling and rescheduling based on COVID. Teams are already complaining. The Denver Broncos, they didn't have a bye week. They spent their entire bye week practicing and found out on Sunday of their bye week that it had been their bye week. Pittsburgh wound up having its bye week in week three and had games moved around a little later. The reality is, while I fully understand and sympathize with the frustration of the people involved, my response is tough. Nothing you can do. These are extreme circumstances. The only objective can be getting to the finish line. Get the games played whenever they can be played, however they can be played, so long as no one's health is jeopardized as a result. And you have to have total faith and confidence that that is being placed at the top of the list of priorities. But take a look, for example, at that New England-Denver game. Had that been played Monday, as had been planned, Cam Newton would not have been able to play for the Patriots. Now, he was reinstated today. He'll be back at practice And I would bet every cent I have that he is their starting quarterback on Sunday, though they haven't made that certain yet. That's a totally different scenario, right? Patriots game gets moved, would have been with one quarterback, not nearly as good. Now it'll be with the other, much better. Maybe they lose in the first scenario. Maybe they win now. Maybe they beat the Broncos anyway. We'll never know. The point is that wound up working out well for them. The Buffalo Bills couldn't work out worse. The Bills had to wait and wait and wait and wait, and then they wound up playing Tennessee on a Tuesday. Then they turn around and play Kansas City on a Monday, and then they will play the Jets on a Sunday. So they will play three consecutive games, or two consecutive games, on short turnarounds. The one against the Jets, one would assume they will win anyway. But against Kansas City, that could wind up being their most important game of the year. And it is certainly more than possible that that shortened week winds up hurting them especially because the Chiefs won't be on a shortened week.
fairness is not the first priority. We have to put that out of our minds. What I don't want to hear on Twitter, hashtag Greeny, send me notes all day long. I read them all day long. What we won't hear in the phone calls is, Greeny, it's not fair. Let's just put this out on the table immediately. We know it's not fair, and it isn't going to be. Greeny with you. We are presented here by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's home quote explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. Meanwhile, the huge news of yesterday, of course, that sent, I think, reverberations through the entire college football world and certainly through the southeastern part of the United States was the positive test of Nick Saban, the most legendary figure in college sports by far, in my opinion, the greatest college football coach ever, and it's not even a doubt, and along with Bill Belichick, the two preeminent coaches in the sport. Oh, by the way, this is the week of their biggest game of the year, They play Georgia. That's number two against number three. We actually touched on that game a little yesterday, and we were going to talk to David Pollack today, even if there hadn't been a positive test, because that's a game worth previewing. Now, obviously, that preview takes on an entirely different tone. We learned a lot from Heather Dinich today. In fact, I'm going to skip right to that, Bubba, in the interest of time. Let's go right to Heather this morning, our outstanding college football reporter, who was telling me on Get Up this morning that not only will Saban not be on the sideline, or in the box, to coach on Saturday night against Georgia. But he, in fact, will not be able to be involved at all. Here was Heather. There is a rule in the NCAA football rules that was provided to ESPN.com yesterday from the SEC office saying that the coaches cannot have communication unless you are in the press box to the field. So by rule... Saban is not allowed to call into the game on Saturday. He's not allowed to zoom in on Saturday. And that rule goes into effect 90 minutes before the start of the game when the officials take control of the game until the end of the game when they blow the whistle and the score is final. So his communication is limited to practice this week, not in-game. That's an incredibly important part of the story that I will confess I did not know until Heather said it to me this morning. Now, how important this game is then came into question because these two teams will, if they are both as good as we think they are, will probably rematch in the SEC championship game at the end of the season. But number two against number three, Alabama-Georgia, is always going to be a big game. And the first and most important piece of this is Nick Saban is not a kid. He's a man in his 60s. He's in extraordinary health. First and foremost, and he is asymptomatic. So first and foremost, we wish him a speedy recovery. I like Nick very much. I don't know him well. I know him enough to know I like him, and I admire him greatly. And so first and foremost, um, I, I, the most important thing here is that he is healthy and that he recovers from this quickly and in a perfect world, never has any symptoms whatsoever and is back to work as soon as he possibly can be. That is by far the most important thing. I don't want to confuse that at all by then pointing out that the idea of Nick Saban not being able to have any communication whatsoever with anyone while this game is going on would be the most entertaining reality show in the history of sports to actually just watch what he will be like watching this game on television. Again, that's going to have to be difficult for him. Let's bring uh, David Pollack into the conversation right now. David, who was terrific with the insight with me this morning on Get Up and is now with me on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium gasoline. David, let's let's dive right in. Obviously, I, I wanted to talk to you today about this game uh, before I knew that it was going to take on all of this. So how does it change? How, how would the conversation about what we expect to happen on the field between these two excellent teams 
How does that conversation change with the news and the knowledge that Nick Saban will not be there on the sideline for Alabama? Well, it's, it's going to have to be a total restructuring of what happens at Alabama. Everything at Alabama goes through Nick Saban. There, there are great coaches in college football that are not as involved as a head coach. They don't have to be intricately involved in offense and defense and special teams. Nick ain't one of those. Nick's got his hands in everything. And um, he, as soon as he gets on the field, he starts – and he tells them exactly who's doing the coin toss, which way they're going to defer. He's watching the kickers and warm-ups. He's watching off of the plays and warm-ups. Like, there's just so much. You can't replace that wealth of knowledge. And that's just the knowledge upstairs. That has nothing to do with the passion and the energy. So I think, you know, there's a level of accountability. The greatest coaches in college football, every day when you show up, you know you got to be between the lines. Like, you got to drive down the middle of the highway. You can't get outside of here. There is no up and down. There is no inconsistency. They're going to bring it, so you're going to bring it. So I think when it comes to the game, you know, I wonder about the intensity. I wonder about uh, the adjustments. I wonder about – remember a couple years ago when, when they played Bama – when they played Georgia. When Georgia's played Bama twice the last two times, beat them in great, thrilling games. What happened? Nick had to go to his backup quarterback. Why is that important? Well, he had to look in his eyes at the quarterback and, and see what they're doing and feel the adrenaline of the game and feel the pulse of the sidelines. But I think what you said in the beginning, Greeny, is absolutely right. There ain't no way in Hades that that dude ain't in communication with them. <laughs> and the rules say you can't be on the phone and you can't do X. Well, you can text message. Well, you can do whatever. He'll, he'll find a way. There's no way Nick Saban's sitting at his house. By the way, I want a camera on him at the house. I, I, I want to play the fine Nick game in the crowd because he's going to be there. Like, look in the box. Let's look on the sidelines. Everybody sees somebody dressed up that looks like Nick Saban because there's just no way he's going to relinquish control and be like, hey, y'all got this. Go ahead. David Pollock with me on ESPN Radio. D- David, putting all of that aside for a minute, which is the better team? Who, who's better, in your opinion, Alabama, Georgia? If everything else is equal, who do you think wins? I think I think Alabama's I think Alabama's a little better because I think they have a lot more explosiveness and a lot more experience on offense. You're talking about an offensive line that I think the you know one of the best in the country, the best they've had in a couple years. Um, and Georgia's offensive line is growing. It's it's new. It's not you know this, the only one guy has played in the in the exact spot they're playing in across the line, and then well two guys actually, but and then a lot of youth outside, and then Stetson Bennett you know playing quarterback now that. Was, was fifth on the depth chart a couple of weeks ago and all of a sudden now starting and wasn't even getting all the, all the reps in the beginning of the season, but now, every, now everything's changed. So I think I give Alabama an edge because of that, but it's not by much. Alabama's defense, listen, styles make fights, and Georgia can't replicate what Ole Miss did. They can't. They're not going to be able to have a tailback-playing quarterback that can throw the football. They don't practice and live in that tempo world all the time. But I'll say this, Bama's, if you took the A off the helmet, Greeny, and you took that off the side of those helmets in Alabama and you put that defense on tape for everybody else, the conversation even after the A&M game would have been different. This is not a normal unit that I've seen from these guys. This is more like last year. This is more like, I guess, what we're, we're used to now with Nick Saban and their defense. It's just not going to be the level of dominance. because. But the offense on the other side is stupid, and the weapons are stupid, and the offensive line is good. They got the best back in the league. They got one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. They got the best receiving core in the league. They got the best offensive line in the league going against, obviously, a ridiculous defense in Georgia. So I still think they've got so much experience and so many older guys that have been there, done that, that I believe in them. But their defense, whether they play Ole Miss or whoever, is not what it used to be, that's for sure.
Greeny with you on uh, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, and my friend David Pollack is with me on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. So, David, I was thinking about this aloud yesterday here on the show. You, you, I'm sure, have given this some thought. Based upon the unique nature of the scheduling this year, where the Big Ten hasn't even started yet, and they're going to try and cram as many games as they can into this very tight window, and the Pac-12 will play however much they'll play and whatever factor they'll be in this, and then we know about the other three conferences— is it because of those things more or less likely that a conference, and let's use the SEC because that's, that's really the only one we probably would consider this with, more or less likely that one conference could get two teams into the playoff? Way more likely. More likely. I think this, yeah, I, I think this is the year we're going to have a two-loss team in the playoff or um, uh, two teams from one conference. I, I think 100% we're going to see that. I think – Listen, the bottom line is, if you look at this Alabama-Georgia game, I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, Greeny, but if this is a good ball game and it's back and forth, it doesn't matter because we're going to have a rematch in, you know, in, in December right down the road in the near future. And guess what? If the other team wins that one, they're very much going to be in the playoffs. And if the, and if the records stay the same and hold the course, I mean – I'm not going to say this game doesn't matter, but it doesn't, definitely doesn't matter as much as it used to. That's for sure. Like, it's definitely – there's a good chance we're going to get a repeat performance regardless of whoever we see in this matchup. So I'm with you on that, but I was, I was just doing this math in my head yesterday. Let, let's just assume that, you know, if, if you were going to sort of play this thing out the way we'd expect it to go, let's, let's say we have an unbeaten Clemson. Obviously, they get in. Let's say Ohio State goes unbeaten in the Big Ten. Clearly, they get in. That leaves yep. the SEC champion in one more spot. So you're saying you think another team from the SEC has a good chance to get in regardless of what happens in the Big 12, the Pac-12, or anything else? Correct. I mean, if you're looking at the Pac-12, um, you know, they're going to have seven games of a body of work. Right. I, I don't know. And by the way, I don't think they're going to get seven games. Look at what's happening this week with the SEC. And mm-hmm. remember, their schedule is seven games in consecutive order. There is no bye week. There is no... There is no room for flexibility for, for COVID, and, and obviously COVID's going to hit. You're seeing that you know, every single week in college football. You know, the Big Ten doesn't have much either with, uh, with 10 games in consecutive order. So I, I, I think the Big 12, you look at them, they're not out of it, but they're not going to get in, I don't think, over a you know, one-loss SEC or possibly a two-loss SEC when they're a one-loss team when you're talking about the, the level, you know, Bama beating up on – maybe Bama beats Georgia, Georgia beats Bama. Are we going to have round three in the playoffs? I think we're more likely to see that. Okay. David, you always have the answers. Thank you, my friend. Great this morning, and we will see you this weekend. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, big dog. Have a good one. All right. That's David Pollock with me on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. I'm glad he answered that. That was what I was wondering aloud. Would – would – I'm just going to throw names out there. I, I don't know which schools they're going to be, but, but Ohio State, I think, is – well, it's clearly considered to be the best team in the Big Ten. Let's say they're unbeaten. And pick – a team that you like, the U.S. Uh, pick USC to be unbeaten from the Pac-12 with seven games, and Ohio State has nine or ten. Do those teams get in? Put Clemson in now. Do those teams get in ahead of the one-loss SEC non-champion? So the SEC champion's in, assuming the SEC champion isn't some fluky, crazy thing, which it never is. Assuming it's either Alabama or Georgia, let's say. That team is in. Put Clemson in. So now you're talking about potentially an unbeaten Ohio State, an unbeaten USC, and a one or two loss SEC team. David is telling you it is likelier this year than usual that that team with one or two losses gets in.
And he spends his whole life in this stuff. So if he's saying it, I believe it. Uh, we're just getting started here. A lot to do. Shefty will join me next with the latest on the COVID with the Falcons. Plus, the one team that, in my opinion, could win the Super Bowl today. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Just seeing this news from Adrian Wojnarowski that Daryl Morey is stepping down as the general manager of the Rockets. Um, I've known Daryl a long time. Daryl is a Northwestern guy, as am I. And um, he has made all of us from Northwestern proud. He's done a great job as the general manager in Houston for a really long time, rebuilt that team, took that team from sort of the Yao Ming era into the new era of Rockets basketball, made a bunch of deep runs, never quite got over the hump, had some really good chances too, had some good teams, leaves them with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, so he's done well there, obviously falling just short of the ultimate goal, which is winning a championship. And then clearly, the Hong Kong tweet that he had last year that, created so much commotion and so much conversation um, is always something people will associate with him. It's it's impossible to separate that from what you think of when you think of Daryl and his time in Houston. But I'll send him a note and see if we can get him on at some point here. Um, Because again, he's, he's someone that I do know and he's a terrific basketball guy. He was sort of at the forefront, this revolution of analytics based basketball You can either credit him or blame him, depending on how you feel about it. I have mixed feelings about it. My father would have hated him. um, uh, But a lot of people, obviously, it has moved in that direction ever since. So, again, that's the news. Daryl Morey stepping down in Houston. Greeny with you here. Obviously, football is where most of the news is coming from right now. And Adam Schefter is the man with all of that news. And he joins me on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Shefty, um, you broke the news this morning on Get Up about the Falcons closing their facility. What is the very latest on that in Atlanta right now? Well, Greeny, basically they are working virtually today. There was one player, Marlon Davidson, placed on the reserve COVID-19 list yesterday. There was another personnel member this morning that tested positive. The team is doing contact tracing and additional testing while it awaits further guidance and direction from the NFL, the NFL Players Association, about what to do next. Now, Right now, the game between the Falcons and Vikings is unchanged, the status for it. It's on right now. And I think that this case right now seems a little bit like the one that the Jets had last Friday, where they shut down their facility, began working virtually while they did additional tracing and testing, and later found out that it was a false positive. And the game was played between the Jets and the Cardinals two days later. Now, again, the Falcons are going through all the added steps that they need to to figure out what's going on. But the NFL explained to me this morning that right now the status for the game is unchanged. 
And, and, you know, I opened the show this morning by recapping a little bit of the discussion you and I had on TV this morning, but let's expand it a little bit now. With the National Football League, I've said this will be a criticism-free zone. Whatever they have to do within reason, so long as it does not jeopardize anybody's health, um, is what exactly what they should do in order to try and get to their finish line. The objective here is to play a season, to get in all of the games if possible, if not as many as possible, and get their way to a Super Bowl. We all understand that has to be the goal, and literally billions of dollars hang in the balance, and there's nothing wrong with saying it that way. What do we expect them to be prepared to do if this continues to roll forward? Rescheduling, moving around bye weeks, all of that will start to become less and less pop- possible as we get to week 11, 12, 13. What other provisions are available to them from a flexibility standpoint to make sure they get where they want to go if this continues to happen? It's interesting you say it that way because I've been thinking about it. And I think that with each week that passes and with each team that has its bye week and has passed its bye week, the window of flexibility closes that much more mm-hmm. each week that passes. So that if some of these instances that we've all seen the last couple of weeks occur two, three, four weeks from now, once teams are passed buys, I think it becomes a little bit more difficult to come up with eight rescheduled games. And so the league has talked about the importance of adaptability and flexibility in a season unlike any other that any of us have ever experienced. But again, there are so many options that are at the league's disposal before you have to start doing things. Already, we've seen the Pro Bowl logically eliminated from the NFL calendar this week. They're not Mm going to play it for the first time in decades, although players will still be voted in. The league is not thinking about an 18th week right now that would be added on. But again, that could become more a part of the conversation. The league... I think has been apprehensive about a bubble because you're bringing in 55 players, 16 practice squad players, uh, that's 71 players per team, 20 coaches, all the other employees. It's a lot of people to bring into a bubble. They're living in their own virtual bubbles now for better or worse. And so the league doesn't sound like it's moving in that direction at this time. I think what the league is trying to do is exactly what it can and should be doing. It's trying to move on, soldier on each week, Take it on a week-to-week, case-by-case basis. It's exactly what the league has done. And later in the season, if there's less less flexibility, fewer buys to work with, you make the accommodations at that point. But the league is not doing anything before it has to. The goal is to play all these games. If you can't play all these games, it's to play as many games as possible. And so that's what the league is going to continue to do. And I think back to the summer, Greeny, and doing get up in the morning, When we were talking about baseball being on the brink, there Mm -hmm. were people wondering if the baseball season should just be shut down, canceled, aborted at that moment, and it wasn't. And I think the sport went on. I think if you're football, you watch that, and I think you take something from that. No matter what happens, if you lose a game or two, you have to keep moving forward in this billion-dollar business to play as many games as you possibly can. Yeah, exactly right. And and at the end of the day, baseball, all but two teams wound up playing all 60 of their games, and here they are right now in in the League Championship Series, and they're going to get to the finish line. Greeny and Shefty with you on ESPN Radio. One more quickly, Shefty, totally off topic. Where do we stand with uh, Le'Veon Bell as of now? Well, our colleague Jeremy Fowler reported, and he's right, that Le'Veon Bell is down to three teams right now. Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. I can make a case for each one of those teams, Greeny. Kansas City, you go to a Super Bowl contender. 
play with Patrick Mahomes and a great offense for a great head coach, great offensive system, win. The Buffalo Bills, competitive team, imaginative offense, winning games, stay in the division with the Jets, also a win. Miami, playing good football right now. He's from Florida. He probably would get to live at home, not pay state tax on the $7 million that the Jets owe him right now. And you get probably more work in the Dolphins offense than you would any other offense. And that would set you up to become a free agent this offseason. Also a win. So those would be the three obvious options right now. I would expect that before the day is over, we'll have a decision from Le'Veon Bell. But either way, he won't be able to play. I saw Graziano noted that Bell will need to go through five days of testing once he's signed. So no matter where he winds up signing, he will not wind up playing this weekend. Shefty, awesome. Thank you. Have a great weekend. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Green. Appreciate it. Be well. Right. That's Adam Schefter with me here with the very latest on all of that. I told you that I would give you the team that could win the Super Bowl by signing Le'Veon Bell. And you just heard him citing Jeremy Fowler, who did that report. Buffalo, Miami, and Kansas City are the likeliest locations. And that's a, that's a look, wherever Le'Veon wants to go, obviously that's up to him. Kansas City speaks for itself. I think they're the favorite to win it, whether they sign him or not. Buffalo is good. And if he wanted to go there, clearly he's a difference maker there. Miami... I mean, anything, anything, I guess, is a short-term play right now. We'll see what ones. At, at some point, I think they're going to give the ball to Tua. If his goal is to win this year, I don't think that is the best of the options. But I'm going to go back to Pittsburgh again. And Jeremy Fowler reported there's been very little talk of, along those lines. But I told you yesterday, Ryan Clark told me he doesn't think the bridges were burned that badly. I think Le'Veon Bell might be exactly the piece the Steelers need. They have a really interesting game with Cleveland this weekend. Steelers are a really good team. Defense is going to keep playing better. Chase Claypool is sort of emerging as a potential star at receiver. And I think if you added Le'Veon Bell to James Conner in that backfield, I think that is the place. When I said a team could win the Super Bowl today, I think if the Steelers signed Le'Veon Bell, I would make them my favorite to come out of the AFC, even including Kansas City. Greeny, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We opened the show with the huge news out of college football. Again, waiting on um, any further word as to whether there are any further positive tests in Alabama. But with Nick Saban testing positive, they will test every single player on that team. So we know Saban won't be there Saturday night. The question is, will the game against Georgia be played at all? Falcons have shut down their facility. A lot of coronavirus news today. And look, this is the news, and we're going to continue to cover it for you. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. That said, I'm also not going to let it completely take over the show. So let's talk a little actual football here. In fact, in his return from the coronavirus, Cam Newton has been activated and is going through practice today. I had Mike Reese, who covers the Patriots for us, on Get Up this morning telling me he asked Belichick, will Newton be able to go through a full practice today and that it is uncertain whether he will or he won't? Chalk me up as one who will be very surprised if Cam Newton isn't the starting quarterback for the Patriots Sunday against Denver. 
I think the Patriots are the team to beat in that division. I've said it many times, and I continue to believe it. Buffalo just lost a game against Tennessee, and they're going to lose Monday against Kansas City. So that's going to be two losses for them. New England and Buffalo will play each other in a couple of weeks. And, oh, by the way, Buffalo still has to play Seattle, who barely beat New England, basically beat New England by one yard. New England's two losses this year are against good teams, one of which was by one yard against unbeaten Seattle, and the other one came without their quarterback, in which their defense really shut down Kansas City. So New England, to me, is definitively the team to beat in the AFC East. They, I believe they will get Cam back this week, and I believe that they will be on their way. Meanwhile, it is time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, and here's the Straight Talk. I told you that there was potential huge news that could shake up the most important NFL game of the weekend. That news is that, according to various reports, Odell Beckham has been sent home from the Browns' practice today out of an abundance of caution because he's feeling ill. They stress repeatedly that it is not coronavirus-related. We certainly hope it isn't, and we certainly hope he can play on Sunday because it has been 16 years since the Browns have won a game in Pittsburgh. Now, I'm old enough to remember when that was one of the best rivalries in the sport. The cities of Pittsburgh and Cleveland are arch rivals. Pretty short drive from one to the other. There's a significant rivalry there. But for the better part now of two decades, a hammer and a nail don't have a rivalry. They just have a relationship. Pittsburgh has been the hammer, and the Browns have been the nail. Tim Couch was the last Browns quarterback to win a game in Pittsburgh. The question is, can Baker Mayfield be the next? Can he do it Sunday? Because that will change a lot of people's opinions. That will change everything in the NFL. If the Browns beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh Sunday, that will change a lot. Right now, people are are still, I think, hesitant to give the Browns too much credit. They got blown out week one by Baltimore. We're thinking same old Browns. Started slowly clawing back, beating bad teams, then beat one that we think is a little better in Indianapolis. Suddenly we like them a little more. The questions start to become just how legit are the Cleveland Browns? Well, they can answer all those questions Sunday in a game that, of course, also has hanging over it the specter of what happened last year when Miles Garrett pulled off Mason Rudolph's helmet and hit him in the head with it. And we all remember all of the ugliness that followed in the accusations. My sense is, and from everyone I've talked to this week, that will not be something that is revisited on Sunday. Regardless of what Kareem Hunt said, saying this one's for miles, I think the expectation is that game will begin and you will be able to forget that ever happened. That, that is not going to be a part of the narrative on Sunday. That is my expectation too. The question is, is Baker Mayfield ready to rise up and win this game. Well, if he really doesn't have Odell, that would be a huge factor. As Odell has become a player on that team who doesn't put up huge numbers. You're just not going to get 11 catches for 162 out of him. That's, that just doesn't seem to be who he is anymore, or at least who he is in that offense. And that's probably fine, because that's not who Baker Mayfield is. Baker Mayfield is give the ball to Kareem Hunt, give the ball to Nick Chubb when he comes back healthy, and, and, and make your offense work off of play action. And we put up a, a graphic for you this morning on television that showed you in the first halves of games this year, Baker Mayfield has been terrific. And in the fourth quarters, he's been terrible. And there were a lot of opportunities for them to lose games the last few weeks. And Mayfield couldn't make anything happen in the fourth quarters. His completion percentage in the fourth quarters of games this year is like 38%. So that's a statement game. There are a lot of really good games on the schedule this weekend. The sexiest one, of course, 
is Green Bay and Tampa Bay because it's Rodgers against Brady. But the most important game is this one in the AFC North. The Steelers and the Browns, longtime historical rivals. Could this be the rivalry renewed? Well, Cleveland's got to hold up their end. So if they win it this weekend, then yes. Then absolutely. Then the battle is joined in the AFC North, and we have ourselves a really interesting division. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Speaking of that division, the team that won it last year and that most people think is going to win it this year remains Baltimore. A lot of people paying a lot of attention to that offense. They seem to be trying to force the issue. They seem as though they don't want to just run the ball down your throat, maybe because they just want to practice other things, or maybe because they genuinely believe you can't win in the playoffs playing the style of offense that they did last year. One way or another, Lamar Jackson is flinging it all over the yard, and they have de-emphasized the running game. Is that a recipe for success for Baltimore? In the long run, maybe. In the short run, I really don't think so. If you're going to win a Super Bowl this year, the only way I think you're going to do it is if you let Lamar be Lamar. We will see. There's the big news from the NBA we'll get back to as well. Lewis Riddick will join me coming up off the top of the next hour. Busy day. You're listening to Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.